It's 2022, which means it's a renewal year and you need CEUs. 30 if you're in South Carolina, and three of those have to be on ethics, jurisprudence, and whatever else goes in that category. Look, the year's going by fast, and you can knock out all those requirements with a MedBridge subscription, and you can get 40% off with the discount code BETTERFASTERPOD. I have a friend named Shelly, and she's a little lazy. Her words, not mine. She hasn't done any Con Ed over the past year and a half until she got her subscription set up. And what she does is she just puts modules on her phone while she watches 90 Day Fiance. Great show, by the way. Is she learning anything? No. But is she getting the local governing bodies off her bat? Yes. Your subscription also includes NSCA credits, OCS certification prep courses, patient education, home exercise programs, EMR integration. There's tons and tons of resources. Again, use the discount code BETTERFASTERPOD to get 40% off your individual subscription. That's the best price that MedBridge offers, okay? Only the best for our listeners. Now enjoy the episode. Hey, everybody. Happy Monday, and welcome to another episode of the Better Faster podcast. Today, Brandon and I have an awesome interview with Dr. Tristan Fail. Tristan is another grad of the USC DPT program as a PT at Vertex with Brandon. And this episode has a ton of great information. We touch on her residency that she just completed. We also go into women's health PT, another area in which she is diving into. And we talk about a grant that she just received for an awesome walking program. I think you're really going to like this episode. If possible, can you please go to iTunes and leave us a review and subscribe to the podcast? It's how we reach more people. We really appreciate it. It's also a great place where you can leave a comment or a question or a topic that you would like us to touch on. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Welcome to another special episode of the Better Faster Podcast. So this is going to be a great episode. We're interviewing one of my amazing colleagues and employees, Dr. Tristan Fail. So Tristan is a physical therapist and was my first and only ortho resident to date. Our clinic, Vertex, actually an EIM host site. Tristan's also recently taken an interest in women's health PT and has started that at our clinic just a couple of months ago, and it's already making a pretty nice impact in our community and really happy to see that growing. So Tristan, welcome to the podcast, or should I say welcome back to the podcast. This is actually the, the second time recording this one because we had a little bit of an uh, audio glitch last time. Well, I'm glad How you're you back again, guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we can't thank you enough for coming on, Tristan. Uh, it has been awesome getting to know you the last couple of years. And what people don't know is I actually got to learn from Tristan as well while I was at uh, Vertex for my rotation. It was great because the way, as we'll get into, the, the residency goes and the mentorship goes, there were some co-treating between Tristan and Brandon. So I got to see Tristan at work, and I can definitely vouch she is one of the best around. Well, thanks, guys. That's really nice. You are a wonderful student too, Josh. Boom. There we go. There we go. Bonus <laughs> points. Um, but Tristan, yeah, um, I think today we'd love to talk mainly about that residency because I know I'm getting to the point where I've got to start making some decisions. Is that some way or something that I want to pursue down the line? And there are a lot of students that do listen to this podcast that are probably thinking the same thing. So uh, when you were in school, you started the residency right away. Is that correct? Right after you graduated? I actually started it um, right, right after I graduated, but before I took the boards. So there was like a loophole that I was able to kind of start before I actually was credentialed. And the risk there was just that I would lose, I think it was like one third of the amount of the tuition um, that I had already paid if I were to have to like drop out because I didn't pass boards. But Okay. Yeah. Well, okay. That's cool. That's awesome. I didn't even know that. That's cool. Um, so uh, what, first off, what was the reasoning behind your decision to, to go into a residency? 
Yeah, so uh, about in my second year of PT school, I decided that I wanted to join the military as a PT. And so I knew that the, the only way really to be able to do that as a direct commission was to make myself look better than the other candidates. And that way was to have a residency under my belt. At that time, when I was looking at the different residencies, the two I were interested in was uh, sports residency and ortho. And looking around at the different sports residencies, you got paid less to do it. And it didn't really make sense to me to be doing like more work because you actually have to go out to the sports sites to like be able to get those hours, but get paid less because you're in the clinic less. So I was like, well, like if it's, if it's essentially going to put me in the same spot, I might as well do the one that I'll get paid more because I have to pay back my student loans. So that's how I ended up in the ortho residency. Awesome. And uh, I know uh, Brandon and Vertex is a host site. Um, You know, at what point did you realize like, Oh man, I want to go with Vertex. Well, that's a hard question. I remember finishing up my ACL rehab and like having, um, like kind of talking about it a little bit, but like not thinking it was ever actually going to work out when I got back from my third rotation and then all the cards just kind of fell into place and it like all of a sudden they were getting an orthopedic residency and uh, EIM was going to be able to work out. And it was just like, I don't know, like all the cards just kind of stacked in my favor and it worked out really well. That's awesome. Yeah, that's what I was trying to get. I knew that you had worked with Brandon as a patient too. So um, that's kind of a cool connection, getting to to work with them as a patient and as a student as well. Um, and so now the residency is over. Is that correct? We are done with the residency? We are done with the residency. I finished it, actually finished it, uh, probably got all my didactic work done by October. And then I finally got the um, certificate in like January-ish. Okay. So and the residency you- was done then. And then I sat for my boards, which is, I know the question you were coming for. Um, I sat for my boards in March. So I did it like March 16th. Right. So you got a little, little ways to go until we find out about that. Correct. Yeah. Everyone asks like, Hey, did you find out yet? And like, no, you don't find out till like June or July. Right. Man, that's a long time. That's a long waiting process. <laughs> yeah. But you like well, forget that- about it. Like I, right after I took it, I was like, Oh, I just want to know. Cause I didn't sit out in my car crying. Like everyone said I was supposed to. <laughs> <laughs> and then like, you kind of forget about it now. So now it's just like the waiting game, but it's not that bad of a waiting game. Gotcha. So well, now it's, um, it's all said and done, do you feel like it prepared you well going through the residency prior to the exam? I'm going to be honest with you. I, I don't know. I think for the exam side of things, yeah. Like I think that most of the research that was in the OCS exam was provided to be through the EIM residency and mainly like the residency prep course. I think in, in my general clinician side of things, taking the job at Vertex and being under both you and Jim and like you guys' way that you treat and how you interact with patients is more beneficial to me in the long run than the residency itself. Okay. Okay. Well, um, well, speaking of, it, it was about, I think it was sometime around September. Uh, there was an article that came out from the APTA task force. It was basically saying that somehow they determined that the current standard inefficient and that PT students are not prepared when they get out in the real world. And so they proposed a solution to make PT school two years. Currently it's three to three and a half, depending on where you go with some clinical work mixed in. You then take a licensure exam, but you're not a real PT. I think they use the term provisional restricted license. Um, Then you do more clinical work, take another exam, then a residency. And then finally you get specialized in something. So that's getting your OCS, SES or, or whatever. And then after that, you get to be an autonomous PT. That's kind of hard to follow. I actually had to kind of write that down in a timeline, but that's a huge change. Um, so basically, you know, in a nutshell, they're proposing everyone has to take a residency when they graduate. What, what are y'all thoughts about that? Josh being a student, Tristan, you're a year and a half out of school now. You've been yeah, through a Josh, residency. 
Josh, do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? Yeah, sure. I, I'll, I'll be honest, man. Um, at the point right now, I'm thinking, man, I've been in school for a while. So the, the longer it's going to take me to where I can actually get my hands on patients and really start working with people, uh, I don't know, um, you know how much more I would want to have there. But at the same time, you know, not having had the experience of really being a practicing PT, it's hard for me to, to gauge how prepared I really am. I really think at this point, judging on the kind of the timeline and trajectory uh, of the way school is going, I feel like I'm going to be prepared. And I think that's a big uh, shout out to actually the school that all three of us have gone to or are attending University of South Carolina. And uh, our PT program, I feel like really is doing a great job of setting us up. I think it was evidence on that first rotation. I felt very comfortable in the clinic, not saying I knew everything by any means, but I felt very comfortable and uh, was able to really learn while there. And I feel really comfortable going into this next rotation, which will be in an acute care setting. So I feel like at this point, I'm excited to come out and start practicing. I know there's going to be more to learn, but I, I feel like I'll be able to make a difference. At least that's kind of where my head goes right now. Yeah. And if you think about it, there are already mentorship programs in most jobs and you don't have to pick a, take a pay cut to like be a part of that mentor, mentorship, you know? So like, one of the things that makes me think about is like, what about the rural areas? Because the areas where you're going to see a ton of different things, those people can't necessarily be specialized in one because you have to take on so many different hats, which we should be wearing different hats as BTs anyway. But like you have to wear like your neuro hat for some patients and you have to wear your ortho hat for other patients. And then if you're women's health, you're going to have to use like women's health or public floor um, hats anyways. So like, what's the point in really specializing for that field? I don't really... I don't think that residencies are for everyone. So then forcing everyone into a residency, I just don't know if that's really the appropriate answer. Okay. What do you think, Brandon? What are your yeah, thoughts, those are, those, those are both good points. I mean, I think my, my gut feeling is that it basically cheapens the DPT degree, to be honest with you, because if, if that's what the APT wants, they're basically admitting failure, um, meaning that the level of education or the, the return on investment is not paying off um, because we know, we all know that, the cost of education is continuing to increase and reimbursement is staying the exact same, even going down in some cases in reimbursement, but I'll call that getting paid. Um, but I see, I do see their point that if the intent is to make the profession of physical therapy, like the medical model, then this is probably the way to go. I mean, this is how the MDs do it. Um, and I don't know, maybe if PTs get to work during the time period, you know, during that kind of, you know, limbo period and have the provisional license and actually make some money, then maybe it saves money in the long run. I haven't really done the math on that. Um, but having said that, you know, I think my biggest problems are number one, I'm not sure how the APTA de determined how the level of education is inefficient. I don't know how they judge that. And, and number two, to be honest with you, I think it needs to be lower down on the priority list when, you know, we failed year after year to get reimbursement rates improved or get unlimited direct access. I mean, I know in this state alone, we got set back 15 years and we lost pops a couple of years ago. So um, yeah, I think, I think I disagree with it, but I try to see both sides of the argument. Yeah, it's definitely an interesting topic. And I think one that um, will probably continually be debated as we go forward. And I, and I can see, I can see both sides as well. Um, it's just hard to imagine, uh, you know, it going to that right now, having now being in it. Um, but who knows? We'll, we'll see what goes on. Um, but Tristan, uh, could you please, for those who don't, know exactly how the residency works. Can you talk kind of about um, what kind of the requirements were, like how much time was had to be spent, you know, co-treating with certain people leading or admin hours, that kind of thing. Can you go into some of the specifics for me? Yeah. So it would depend on the program that you decided to go with. Cause a lot of, they're all on that, um, the specialty board page and um, you can kind of go through and figure out like how long each program is. Cause it can be a year or it could actually be two years. So um, 
that's one of the things you have to look at. And then there are like specific hours. So for EIM, I think I had to have 1500 hours of direct patient care and then 50 hours, 150 hours of mentor hours, 50 of which could be Brandon lead, but the rest of it I had to lead. Mm-hmm. And then there are your didactic courses where you have like assignments due and all of that's online. It's kind of the adult learning model that they kind of use South, South college DPTs uh, model for too. And so for me, everything was online except for there were four kind of like lab weekends where I went down to Atlanta um, and it was actually pretty cool. Got to rub elbows with like Jeff Moore and Dan Roan and um, Tom Denninger. So it was kind of cool to like, be in that atmosphere with those people. But, um, but that's more how EIM's model is. And the college-based models are a little bit different where you like teach courses and stuff like that too. Okay. So there's definitely some options out there for people who are interested. They really need to do their research there. And, and it is intriguing. I like that uh, you made a really good point there when you talked about the most beneficial part of it happened to be kind of the site at which you were, uh, were practicing. So um, that's a huge part of it too. Um, I know that um, you know, Vertex having that, um, having that EIM residency there, uh, that's a really attractive position there. So I'm sure maybe after this, Brandon, you might have some people reaching out to you. Uh, but yeah, yeah so <laughs> Speaking of rubbing elbows, Tristan, I saw you. Uh, I saw you on Instagram with uh, our girl Shantae, Move It Maestro. How's that? I know. I think we're friends. Um, <laughs> she was actually really cool. Like I was sitting in. Um, I was get, sitting in the Skapta conference, and I wasn't really sure that I was like getting a lot out of the different people that were presenting, other than the telehealth thing, which I'm like kind of excited about. But then I like, go into that, and like she's giving you pain science education at the same time as she's talking about IASTM, but changing it to instrument assisted neuromuscular modulation or neuromus- neuromuscular modulation or something to that effect. And I was like oh my gosh, this is everything that I learned in my residency and everything I believe with like pain science being the major factor. And I was really excited about it. Yeah, she's great, man. It was such a joy getting to have her down here to Carolina and hosting that, uh, that rock blades course, man. She knows her stuff. She is very funny. Yeah. She's, she kept it light the whole weekend, man. That was, that was awesome. Yeah, she's true. Her no nonsense approach. I mean, she's it's it's pretty straightforward because because ISTM does come just with a lot of crap about you know breaking up scar tissue and stuff like that, and she just you know pretty much lays it out for you. She's like, you don't need these tools. You can do this with the back of a spoon or you know the handle of a butter knife. So that's yeah, I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Well, um, Josh, one one thing you had just mentioned before we kind of um, you know drifted off there a second ago was about advertising that we host at AM site, and I do get calls. I get calls and emails maybe about once a quarter. It's kind of slowed down, but I end up talking to most people out of it. Um, you know, I know Tristan had different reasons, you know, she wanted to go into the military and, you know, getting that OCS early was very important and, and very attractive, which we talked about earlier. But, um, you know, I just feel like it is so expensive to go to PT school. I mean, you're pretty much guaranteed to be strapped with six figures of debt. And I just cannot wrap my head around taking a reduced salary for a year because right. it's just, it's going to be so hard to get ahead from a financial standpoint. And I just, I, I don't feel that <clears throat> we're taught really well, um, how to, how to handle money or how to approach things from a business standpoint in PT school. Um, I know I, ha- I had classmates that actually took out the max amount of student loans. So they could take trips to Ireland and stuff like that. And it was just, just ridiculous things. And um, that that's one that's, I, I kind of, you know, I give students both sides. It's like, you know, we have this residency host. If you do it, we're going to make the most of it and be the best mentor I can. But having said that, if you want to get good mentorship, just find a job where you can, you know, have a good mentor and then you still get to take the OCX exam just a year later. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, man. It, it, you're, again, it all plays into the, 
um, kind of what, what's your long-term goal? What do you, you know, are you trying to set yourself out? I can see exactly why Tristan wanted to go through that. And, uh, uh I'm excited to, excited to hear those results here in maybe a couple more months, but <laughs> hopefully sooner rather than later. Um, but yeah, Tristan, um, there are some other big things happening. I know in your life and kind of your practice, and that is, uh, taking on a lot more of this, uh, this women's health PT and, and patients in this area. Um, uh, so what kind of drove your interest to women's health PT? So I had no interest in doing women's health PT when I was in school. I don't even know if I paid attention in the lecture where Jenna came in there and asked us which one of us wanted to be the, um, like the model for that. And I was like, Oh no, uh, not today. Um, but, uh, like I got into practice and I knew that there was really only very few of us in Columbia that treated women's health. And, uh, whenever I've tried to give referrals, the, um, the PT didn't take direct access and her schedule was booked back three months. And it was just hearing stories about people talking about having, um, puppy training pads on the floor and that's okay. Like it's okay. She can't make it to the bathroom. She has these puppy training pads on the floor. And I was like, Oh, but it's not, it's yeah. not okay. Um, that kind of drove me into it. And then it was funny because, um, we had Jenna come in and teach the course that Brandon teaches at USC and she came in the clinic and it was like, okay, so if I take this course, Jenna, what is this going to entail for me? And, uh, you, you have to be a model, like in the Herman and Wallace courses and in the APTA for the lab, for the lab portion of it, you are your partner's live version of a pelvic floor. And I was like, okay, no, like I'm not that many eyes. I can't do it. Um, and then I got into the course and everything, every, they make you feel really calm about everything. And then you realize it's just another set of muscles. Like it's the same as the shoulder. It has dysfunction. You have to use it for certain things. And there are different principles for it because it's not necessarily a muscle that you want to get like hypertrophy out of. But it's, it's really rewarding to kind of work on it in Columbia in an area where like the, the Southern states in themselves don't necessarily talk about sex or talk about the pelvic floor as much. And so being in an area like that and then helping out so many people that don't even realize that they have a problem is really rewarding. Yeah. That's really, that's really interesting. I didn't, I didn't realize that, that about the, the culture aspects of it. I never really thought about that. Um, but I, I can totally see that being in the Bible belt here. Um, so what, what are some of the conditions that you treat? just for any patients that might be listening to this episode? In general, like any kind of vulvodynia means um, like pain in the vulva and the vulva is the external part of the genitalia of a female. So mainly I only treat women right now. I'm not really comfortable treating the male side of things because I haven't taken courses. And this is an extremely intimate topic, especially for like a man to trust you to be able to do pelvic floor work. I feel like I should feel really confident in what I'm doing and I don't. So I don't feel like, I think that's a disservice to them. Um, but like I treat vulvogenia, which is just pain at the external portion of the genitalia. I treat prolapse, incontinence. It could be like stress incontinence, mixed incontinence, um, any kind of pelvic pain. A lot of times it's really interesting the way that pelvic floor pain can kind of manifest itself as like hip pain and back pain. So one of the things that I feel like is really good about it is like when I have somebody come in and they're like, oh, I have this pain, but it only hurts like with this. And you're like, okay, well maybe I should head down a pelvic floor route. So it's kind of nice to be able to have like a full aspect of a person and not necessarily just feel like I can treat like back and hit, but like you can kind of treat the whole area of the pelvis. Sure. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. And um, you're right. I think there are so many people that don't realize that PT is an option to help them if they have some of these, these issues or symptoms. Uh, It's, Interesting. Like I know, um, in the fitness world, this is something that I, you know, I've seen a lot over my, my career as a coach, um, seeing, you know, people in the gym that, that have, you know, issues of, uh, of incontinence when they're doing double unders, box jumps, squatting or anything like that. And, uh, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but that's not 
that's not normal. And that's something that you can help with. Yeah. There's a, there's a special word for a woman that's never had a baby and it's like no, no, or something like that. It's a really funny word. Um, but even women, like women that haven't had babies, that's a super strange thing. But like for anybody, that's a strange thing. Just because you've had a child and push something out of your vagina does not mean that you should now have to like pee with things that take like a lot of um, intra-abdominal pressure. That's just a sign that the pelvic floor muscles aren't working right. So your pelvic floor has five main functions and like the three big ones being like sphincter control. So your ability to like hold or allow urination or defecation, sex, and then um, support in general. And there are two other ones like sump pump. So it allows for lymphatic fluid to move through there and stability is the other one. So all of those things are supposed to work together for the pelvic floor. So like if any of those aren't working, like if your sphincters aren't working and you're urinating all over yourself when you're doing double unders, it's not, it means there's a dysfunction going on there. But what I forgot to say when you asked me what conditions we can treat, it doesn't necessarily have to be just the dysfunction side of things. You can kind of get ahead of the game, like with pregnancy in itself, you can kind of get in there before let's say before their womb gets really big and, and it's taking on so much more work because your, your entire system is changing. So not necessarily just the pelvic floor, but like your posture is changing. So then now how those things work, like Julie Weeb's piston science uh, theory, theory or um, what she kind of does her whole thing based off of, like if, if that changes and the way that your diaphragms aren't on top of each other anymore changes, then that becomes a problem for your system too. And there's a higher chance of having that dysfunctional thing. So you can kind of get ahead of it before you end up getting larger. And then, um, your delivery is actually supposed to be easier that way. So it's basically like prehab for pregnancy or prehab for the pelvic floor. essentially. Yeah. Prehab. Yeah. Well, I think it's great. I think it's great that these topics are are getting some notice now. People are talking about it. I can tell you back a, a little bit of a story. Um, regionals in 2013, and Brandon, I know I've shared this with you, but Tristan, I don't think I've told this you about one. this. Um, you know, regionals 2013. I'm on a team, and we're about to go out there, and I'm in a lane. I'm about to do a workout that has deadlifts and box jumps, and heavy deadlifts and box jumps, and it was a brutal workout. But the person in front of me, the lane in front of me, uh, the uh, the woman had had actually urinated all over the box right out there. So, you know, I'm kind of in the lane, I'm sitting there and I'm standing and like, it's pretty obvious what's happened. And, you know, you know, clearly it wasn't the first time for her because she, you know, there was no, you know, she didn't, she, you know, didn't worry about it at all. But uh, for me, I'm wondering like, okay, are they going to switch this box out at all? Or what are they going to do? Like, I had never seen this before. Like, I didn't know this was really a thing. I mean, I was just starting out in my in my fitness kind of coaching career and nobody was talking about this. So they, they came out, they switched the box out, they wiped the floor up and then it was three, two, one go. And then for all, I was like, no, I was like, this is, this is new. Um, I'd never, so I'd never, I I really did not, I'd not heard of that kind of thing or seen that or really knew that was even an issue, but it seems more and more you're reading, you know, things online on social media or things. It seems like it's finally getting a little bit of, you know, kind of acknowledgement and people are starting to seek out uh, some help with it. Oh man, what would you have done if that was a uh, rope climbs? If you had to oh, do I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know. They they call CrossFit the unknown and the unknowable. So uh, I think you kind of just got to go with it. Um, but I just that was, it was less uh, likely for it to be the rope. Like, I, yeah, I, that, that makes sense to me. I mean, I if it was know. like a rope after the box, I don't know, man. Right. Know. Yeah, and and we're you know we're laughing about it a little bit and making jokes about it. And it is it's kind of funny in hindsight, but I know for that person that can be you know that could be really embarrassing. That could be something that they're you know it could be really self conscious about. I know there are people you know I've had clients in the past that have come to me and talked to me and like, hey, you know, I really you know. I stopped early when a squat session because I knew if I was going to go any heavier, I was going to pee or I didn't, you know, I didn't finish all of my rounds of double unders today because, you know, I didn't, you know, I knew I would, I would start to pee if I was going to. So I know there are some people that are, you know, it really, 
you know, is kind of, you know, an issue for them and it changes that it keeps them from doing things that they want to do. So, um, you know, I'm hopefully we can encourage some of those people to reach out to you. Well, the hard part about women's, the women's health side of things is that it, it seems like a lot of times women think that if they have that dysfunction, there's something wrong with them and they're less of a woman for it. Like with prolapse, especially when it's like one of your first, like your first kids and you're like, well, I want to have more kids, but I have this prolapse. Does that mean I can't be a mom again? And it really, like it has a huge factor on their psyche that it, and it shouldn't because it's a natural part of what you're going through and it just happens that way and you can reverse it. It's not like you have to go through whatever surgeries there are to get it to come back up. Um, research has shown with like manual therapy and with exercise, you can decrease the grade of a prolapse or how far it's dropped down by two grades. So like you can go from that symptomatic stage to the asymptomatic. So it doesn't make you any less of a woman. And so I think that's a hard part with that. But with CrossFit in itself, it tends to get a bad rap just because women tend to be a little bit more badass in general. And so like what you're thinking, like as you're doing it is, Oh, well, if I'm peeing all over myself, that means I'm more of a badass. So that's just how that goes. And then there was that one video, that one CrossFit video where the gynecologist was out there like, I'm an OBGYN. And if you're not peeing on yourself, you're not trying hard enough. Oh man. So I like never saw that badge. one. Yeah. So it's kind of like a badge of honor in a way. Yeah. That's what she tried to make it seem. That's not what it should be. Mm. Um, but that's what she had it. And like, you can look at that video and that's where a lot of, cause even in the courses, sometimes they're like, Oh, well, these people, these women are doing these crazy things doing this CrossFit. And so I'm sitting in there with like my CrossFit soda city jacket, scooting down a little bit further in my chair. So you can't tell that I do the CrossFit. Um, but it, it gets a bad rap and it shouldn't. It's just a way that people like, you like that community aspect of things. And that's kind of why you go into it, but it shouldn't, like, you still shouldn't pee when you're doing box jumps or double unders you should still have that like pelvic floor control as you're doing it. Right. So if oh, someone, the, sorry, the one, the muscle ups, like the woman doing the bar muscle ups with the rec, the diastasis recti. Mm -hmm. And this past open, did y'all see that? I, I did see that one. Yes. So that's another one. Yeah. Anyways. So, so can you, can you give us just like a general idea? We don't have to get any specifics, but you know, what does, treatment look like? You mentioned, alluded earlier to manual therapy and exercise, but again, for a patient that might be listening, they come in, maybe an athletic person, maybe it's a CrossFitter and they're dealing with this incontinence issue. What can you do for them a little more specifically in the clinic? Well, first and foremost, it's whatever they're most comfortable with. So like you have a lot of tools in your toolbox as, as a physical therapist in general, but like once you've been kind of trained to do pelvic floor, you kind of have more of those tools. So like I do have the ability and I have been trained to do internal like evaluations or internal manual therapy or like biofeedback kind of internally too. But just because I can do that doesn't mean I will. So if somebody's not comfortable with it, you obviously don't just go, all right, we'll go ahead and take your pants off because that's what we're doing. Um, but that's one of the sides of things that you can do. And, and a good thing about the internal is that you're hitting a side of the muscle that you can't hit any other way. And so if you're having pain, it's a good way to kind of alleviate that pain or be able to, I hate to use the word like free up tissue, but be able to kind of like relax the muscle. Um, and then you can kind of assess what the pelvic floor is doing. Like, is it actually lifting when you're asking it to lift? Is it actually like uh, doing a bulge or like relaxing and then kind of determine if there's any kind of prolapse already going on that may be asymptomatic that you can kind of get ahead of. But that doesn't mean that I have to do that every time. Like you can do a very similar thing externally and just figure out if the pelvic floor muscles are lifting or if they are relaxing and then kind of, kind of taking it from there, like taking it from what are my muscles doing to how do I get them to be functional? Because I think that's a, uh, I was watching a lecture and Julie Weeb said that's the whole point of sports medicine. And it is, I don't know why I'd never thought of that before, but it's taking somebody from where they are and getting them back to exactly what they want to do. 
So that's a, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say that. I mean, that's a, that's a great explanation. I mean, it's, I mean, it's obviously it's, it's very personable, but it doesn't sound very threatening in any way. Um, because I know there, there's a lot of misconceptions that come with this kind of treatment too. I think you had a patient ask you if they were going to have to like have a vaginal weight and walk around with it or something like that. Right. Oh yeah. She, uh, the, um, I think it was a urogynecologist told her that I was going to just stick cones up in her vagina and like stick weighted eggs up in there and make her walk around the clinic. And I was like, that wasn't my plan. Um, if you want to do that, I can maybe set you up with someone that will do that with you. But, I can see um, you saying this, that person, well, that wasn't my plan, but <laughs> what if you want to, no, I'm just kidding. I don't do that. I don't have the cones and the weights. And like, I think that, I think the less, the least amount of things you can kind of like stick up in your vagina that don't belong there. It's probably better. So, um, things I never thought would be said on our podcast. And he's going on our next t-shirt. That's, that's a quote. Oh, There's man. a time and a place for everything, but like not everything needs to be done. Oh, man. So. Uh, <laughs> well, there's one, there's one other thing that I wanted to point out that I know you said that you personally are not to the point in your like women's health, uh, PT journey to where, uh, or I should say pelvic floor PT journey to where that you are treating males for anything that they might need. But that is definitely an option for men to, to, to seek out people for this kind of treatment. I remember in, when we were learning, you know, that same, probably that same lecture that, that you had when you were in school talking about this topic, you know, uh, them having a patient come in, you know, a male that had pain with urination for 20 years. And it was the first time, you know, she started working with this PT. It's the first time that they were able to go to the bathroom without pain. You imagine 20 years, uh, you know, of, of that going through that. So um, there, this is out there. It's there for, you know, to help. So if you're a, you know, a male listener to this and you have something that's, that's going on, this is another option. You know, this is something to think about. Yeah. So men can get treated for testicular pain. Um, same kind of like sex with uh, pain with sex, sorry. Um, penile pain, uh, like general pelvic pain too. Cause a lot of times men will just get diagnosed with prostatitis and get put on antibiotics, which mm-hmm. then kind of leads down. Like a lot of time the gut has a lot to do with your health too. So if you're getting put on constant antibiotics, what's that doing to like the normal biome of your gut? So yeah, men, men have problems too because they have a pelvic floor. Post ops too, right? Prostatectomies, things like that. Yeah, pudendal nerve, um, like palsies or injuries yeah. or paralgias, you know. Do you, Tristan, do you feel like that many uh, maybe physicians in the medical community even realize that this is an option they can refer people to? I honestly, I think it depends on how far out of medical school they are. So mm-hmm. I think that like the, the newer medical professional, like the newer people coming out of like medical school more, more likely know that it's an option for them. And like the ones that have kind of been out for a while probably don't, and are probably stuck in their ways of using like constant pessaries um, or, or doing like the bladder tract surgeries and stuff like that, that aren't necessary first off. Um, the biggest, oh gosh, I forgot about the biggest one that, um, that pelvic floor therapists treat, especially in women, well, obviously in women, um, endometriosis and, um, interstitial cystitis. And so those are the ones, endometriosis is getting really big in society and it's finally getting really recognized in women that have constant, constant pain. And so, um, those two things are something that you can also work on with pelvic floor physical therapy that doesn't necessarily have to be like hysterectomies and whatever other medications that they put you on, but it can be a good adjunct. Tristan, I had, a, I had one more question for you. Um, Cause you know, I, I don't ever plan on doing women's health, you know, as far as I'm concerned, I think that's a, that's a female sport and I am so glad you do it. But for the rest of us, you know, 
Josh and I have a patient. What, what kinds of questions should we be asking our patients just to get a little more information on this? Maybe, maybe even so we can ref, actually refer them to you so you can treat them. You know, I don't think asking about like bowels and I mean, I know we asked about bowel and bladder for the terms of like red flags, but I don't know that with like black, back, oh, sorry, back pain, should you not be like already screening that out too? Like, what are your bowels like? Do you have pain that's like correlated around your bowels? What is, what's your bladder like? How often do you use the bathroom? Do you find yourself having a hard time making it to the restroom or like things like that? Like how much do you pee at a time so that you can kind of like pull those things out too? Um, you know, not every female is going to be comfortable talking to a man about, about like pain that they were having, let's say with like intercourse or, or what kind of pain they're having in general. I think that that's normally something that they're going to be more likely to talk to another female about. But, um, but I do think that bowel and bladder asking about that would be a big thing too. And then just trying to like tease out where their pain is coming from. And does it seem like it could also have like uh, that pelvic component. But you know, one of the biggest treatments that they do for pelvic floor therapy is the breathing. So like you, you train those two diaphragms, like your pelvic diaphragm is the, is the pelvic bowl and it's the muscles that sit inside the pelvis and then the respiratory diaphragm above. So like a lot of times I feel like you're kind of killing two birds with one stone when you're going through like the breathing assessment anyways. Good stuff. That's awesome. Well, I know it's much needed. Um, you know, this, this area of PT is so, is so underutilized. There's like you said, there's, there are only a handful out there that I know of and that in this area and in the state of South Carolina. So, um, I know I'm grateful to have somebody I know that I can refer to if needed. Um, so, uh, it's awesome what you're doing, Tristan. And, um, before we let you go, I really wanted to talk about one more thing. Uh, we've kind of hit a lot of, uh, of different topics today, but you, um, received a, a pretty cool grant, um, and are starting the walk with ease program. Would you, uh, give me us a little info about what that entails? Yeah. So I, um, I was at a, um, I was at a, what did I, what do I call that? Um, not necessarily a lecture, like a sit down talk with people at Orange Theory. And someone came up to me about, um, having this grant opportunity that they wanted to try to get in to the state APTA chapter. And so I brought it to their attention and I was also like, well, I'm going to fill out a grant too, just to make sure like if things don't have, don't work out really well for you guys, I want to make sure I have this in my clinic. She was talking about all these different opportunities that you had that you could give your, like if we were able to do it for another year, there'd be opportunities to get like more funding and I can get more participants and I might be able to offer money to those participants that were able to come into the program. So um, put in the grant, got the grant. So it's walk with these and it's through the arthritis foundation, the national association for chronic disease directors, and then um, the CDC. And so what it is, is I have the walk with these program, which is a six week self-directed walking program where you I'm running it two ways. So you could do all of this on your own. You can walk on your own, um, you know, on your own time where you want. It takes you through uh, actually kind of general strength and conditioning protocol. Like it takes you through the fit principle so that you kind of know like how intense should I be working for how long? And then um, like where safe areas of walking are, kind of shoes you should be wearing. And then you make a contract with yourself about how long you're going to be walking for. And then each week you have a diary where you say like how long you walked and it can be you can make your goal for distance or you can make it for time. There's an application you can use on your phone too. That'll like con connect with, I think the iPhone, but definitely with a Fitbit. So that can kind of log your time at the same, but um, anyone in the state of South Carolina can do it. So if anyone has any interest in either bringing it to people in their clinic or to their family members or to themselves, um, just contact me. And I'm not sure how you guys do contact information, but I can send it out to you and it's no cost. If you're in the Columbia area and you want to participate, we run, um, like we have a group that meets and we walk together 
for whatever the time period is based on those people. So if they've been there for a while, we could go longer into like 15, 20 minutes. But if, if it's their first time, we usually only do like a 10 minute walk outside and then kind of talk about their challenges for the week, what their goals are, what they feel like they've accomplished and where they think they can go. And that happens on Fridays at our clinic. That's awesome. That's so cool that you're going That's been that really program. cool to have too. We, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead, Brandon. Yeah, that's been that's been really great the past couple of weeks with you doing that on uh it's it's been like uh Friday afternoons. Lately. Yeah, it's been Friday uh, afternoons. Just been, just I think I need to change it in the summertime because it's gonna be hot and humid. So like I think it needs to be in the mornings then. But true true, but you know, most I think most clientele is older adults, so you just gotta figure out if they'll be able to, you know, get there that early too. So we'll we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, I, yeah we we'll just give it a shot and see how it goes. Yeah. Awesome, Tristan. Well, thanks again for coming on the show. Um, it's always fun working with you. I know you have the most interesting conversations with your patients uh, compared to the rest of us in the office. Um, but it's been really cool to see you grow over the past year and a half. And really, you become a prominent member of our community in such a short time. So very proud of you. Um, before we sign off, is there anything else you want to get off your chest? I know you got a CrossFit competition coming up in a month, right? Oh my gosh, I get to do it with my best friend from undergrad. I'm so excited, but I can only, I did three double unders in a row today, guys. Like I'm well on my way to 150. Boom. There Boom. we go. PR. Uh, let's go. What? <laughs> Tristan, go, go ahead and uh, tell everybody where they can find you. Um, social media, email, if they have any questions about women's health, pelvic floor residency, or want to join that walk with these program. Yeah, not pelvic floor residency. Okay, anyways, yes. Um, I can talk about the ortho residency or EIM's residencies. I can talk about women's health, physical therapy, or pelvic floor. In general, um, we can talk about walk with ease. We can talk about whatever you want. Um, my email is Tristan at vertexpt.com. And then my um, Instagram handle is TristanF10. Apparently, Twitter is supposed to be like the happening place for physical therapy, but I am not on the Twitter. So those are your two options, but I would be glad to talk to you about whatever questions are burning on your mind. Don't believe the hype about Twitter. That's, that's fake news. Yeah. I was going to say, I'm, I I'm on Twitter, but I haven't tweeted since I think 2013. So I think you're doing all right. That's what I was like. I was like, I haven't had one since I was in college. And then like halfway through college, I stopped messing with the Twitter. Like, I don't, I don't, what? Man, it's pretty much as Instagram for me nowadays. It's, I have a hard enough time keeping up with one. Well, you have like four, don't you? Four Instagram? <laughs> yeah, something like that. Now manage, yeah, between the gym and the business and all that kind of stuff. Maybe but, uh, too many ways. Oh, I don't know about that. Uh, apparently, and not as much as you, man. It's awesome hearing about all the different things that you're doing, Tristan. And we can't thank you enough for being on. Um, as always, guys, if you could, please subscribe to the podcast and uh, go on and give us a review on iTunes. It really helps us reach more people. It's also a great place to leave a comment or a question about a topic that you want to hear more about. We really do appreciate it, guys, um, and we love the interaction with all everybody that's listening. So please reach out if possible. Uh, if you want to find out more from us, you can always go to the website, betterfasterpodcast.com or Instagram. That's where we're most active. That's at betterfasterpodcast. If you want to find more from Brandon, you can go to Vertex vertexpt.com at vertexpt or at bv the pt still one of my favorite instagram handles and if you want to find out more from me uh, you can go to at cpt strength or carolinaperformancetraining.com and until next monday have a great week this episode is brought to you by vertex pt specialist one patient per doctor physical therapy per hour guaranteed the best physical therapy ever check us out at vertexpt.com or on the gram at vertexpt